Shabbat Shalom. Before we get into our message, go ahead and turn me down a little bit. Thanks. Before we get into um, the message, I want to remind everyone, Sukkot is coming up. It's a pilgrimage festival. And what that meant in ancient times is that you would come from all over Israel to one location, to fellowship, see each other, connect, and to have a big party. And so this is a pilgrimage festival. That's why we're going up to Winter Park. We want to make that special. We can all make our track, our journey up there and meet and just have time together 24-7 for a couple days. So we uh, have been talking about this for months and uh, encouraging you to set aside funds so that you can afford that and uh, be up there and enjoy that with us. Uh, Inglewood Lighthouse is joining us, by the way. So we're going to have a great time. We have not been up there with them for probably, what, eight or nine years, I think. So uh, it's so funny. I said, you know, uh, get out, get out your, your walkers and your canes, and we'll meet you on the volleyball courts. We, we were old back then, and now it's like, man, can we still do it? We used to have volleyball battles every year that we'd go up there. So, uh, But we're playing pickleball now. I don't know, you know, and maybe lawn bowling will be next year, but... It is what it is. So, but we encourage you uh, to do what you can to be up there for that pilgrimage festival. And that's on our website. So anyway, it's open to everyone too. So anyone that wants to come, go to our website and uh, look at our festival page. And we have all the information about how you can uh, connect with us up at Sukkot in Winter Park. So hope, hope we see everyone there. All right, I'm going to talk about kingdom mission and purpose. So as representatives of Jesus, and I, and I love that when you think about that, a representative of Jesus. And, and I want to remind us too that a lot of this literature that we read, it's designed to be meditated on. Something that you revisit over and over and over and you think about. Because as you form thoughts and ideas around concepts and uh, instructions, it actually will engage you in terms of behavior. You'll begin to walk it out. And so when I talk about being a representative of Jesus, I want us to think through that, meditate on it. What does it mean to represent Jesus? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that entail? Think through that. Because the more that you understand that you're a representative, you'll begin to identify with it. And then as you identify with it, it'll change how you live your life because you're a representative of Jesus. Since you represent him, you automatically live differently because you're trying to emulate him and represent him to others. And we think of the house of representatives, right? Yeah. Do you think they're into that? Do you think they're into their status as a representative? You can bet they do. And when we understand that we represent Jesus, we're diplomats of the kingdom of heaven. I love that. That moves me. I get into that. It's real. I have authority and power, influence. The kingdom of heaven stands behind me and my words. Yeah. And we'll become change makers as we identify, embrace, and begin to move in, move in these things. So, as a representative of the King of Heaven, what is our mission? What is our mission and purpose on earth, right? What are we supposed to be doing? 
What is our primary message? What is our essential work? How are we to accomplish it? Today, we're going to explore some of these weighty questions, and together with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will find our answers and begin to accomplish our calling for the glory of Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These are all about identity issues. Identity is probably the paramount thing in our culture today, right? Everyone's clamoring for identity. I'm this, I'm that. My pronouns are this, my pronouns are that. I mean, it's all about identity when you think about it, right? Yeah, we have an identity too. Representatives of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10. To the believers, both Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's just pause. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We have an identity. We have a mission. We've been given a mandate. Think about that. There's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. Which one are we in? Well, it's obvious, right? The kingdom of light. It has its own boundaries. It has its own laws, its own way of life, its own mission and purpose. And we need to understand that so that we can represent it. Goes on to say in verse 10, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This verse, these two verses, they have so much in them. We could, we could stop and just break that down and unpack that for weeks. This is a good verse to meditate on. This is a good verse to go and write it out and take it with you to work, visit it at lunch or at dinner in the evening, day in, day out, day in, day out. There's so much here that will change who we are as we begin to meditate and spend time and embrace it, let it do its work in us. So what does it mean to be chosen? What's it mean to be a priest? What's it mean to be a holy nation? a people for God to possess, created to proclaim his excellencies. What are excellencies? What are his excellencies? And the whole issue of grace, which is the basis of our calling, our election. So much here, just two verses. Let's unpack some of this. A chosen race. God elects or chooses, that's a word I think we understand a little bit better, God chooses whom he desires to accomplish his plans. God's the eternal one. He's the sovereign king of the universe, the creator of all things seen and unseen, and he has a plan for creation. And he's going to choose who he will choose to accomplish that plan. This is important for us to understand. God is the one that chooses, not we ourselves. 
This helps us to find our place of humility in that God is God and we are not. Part of the lie of the enemy was to convince Adam and Eve that they could be their own gods, that they could be an Elohim like he is an Elohim. And they bought the lie. We are not God. We did not choose him. He chose us. He chose you. Let me give you a couple verses. John 15, 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, you did not choose me. Maybe they thought they did. But he clarifies this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And in addition to choosing you, I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Yeah. Did you really choose God? Did you really choose the Messiah? Think about it. We were lost in our sin and shame. He came, sought for you, found you, illuminated you so that you could understand and be aware of his presence, and then you responded to his choosing. Yeah, he chose us. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, makes this point even more extravagantly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us before he even created us. How's that possible? How could he choose you before you were even born? Before he even created humanity? How's that even possible? Because God knows all things. The beginning and the end. He knows it all. Before he ever did anything, he knew you. Before you were even created, he already understood and knew who you would be, your choices in life, everything about you. And in eternity past, he had already decided to come and get you, to come and reveal himself to you. The fact that you responded to Jesus Christ is the evidence of your election, that he chose you. What an honor to be chosen, right? What an honor, privilege, and blessing that God would choose you. Yeah, you're a somebody. You're important. You have eternal worth chosen by God. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. Why did he choose you? Why is it that he chose you? Was it because you were so wealthy? Or wealthy in terms of your family background? Or was it because you all have degrees from Ivy League universities? Or was it because you were all professional athletes? 
artists, Hollywood celebrities. No. He chose you because most of you, including me, were at the other end of the spectrum. When you look at God's election and who he chooses, it's startling. It's the exact opposite of what the world chooses for its representatives. No, he chose us because most of us were poor, uneducated, spectators, rather than accomplished, celebrated artists and performers. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Man, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's totally different. It's counterintuitive. Verse 28, And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Let me illustrate that. Let me give you an example. Let's take a snapshot of King David, who he chose to be king over Israel. If you remember the story, uh, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The people wanted a king like the nations. They wanted to be like the world. And they chose their first king, King Saul. And you know why they chose King Saul? Because he had the right family background. He had some moolah. He was just this boomer of a, of, a, of a man's man. He was a head above, you know, all, all of those in Israel. He was like their choice, their representative, the strong, the, the well-known, the well-connected, you know, if you will, the, the wealthy. And that's who they chose because that's what the nations choose. But that wasn't God's choice. And Saul had his kingdom taken away through his own unfaithfulness. Let's pick up the story, 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He said, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called his next son and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made his other son, Shema, pass by, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these, one son after another. I'm not sure what the arrangement was. I'm not sure if it was by seniority age. Who knows? But regardless, each son has been rejected. You know, so surely Samuel's thinking, have I missed the Lord? I mean, what is going on here, right? Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. Someone has to watch the sheep. We got invited. We all came. Someone had to watch the sheep. So we took the least senior in the family and we said, babysit the sheep. We're going to a big party. So David's back home watching sheep and he's the youngest of the sons. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy he, I'm sorry, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Can you imagine that? They're like, what's up with that? He's the youngest of all of us, the least experienced, the least educated. Yeah, the Lord has passed by every one of us. Why? Well, he's the Lord. He can do whatever he chooses. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's choosing someone. And his choice is not based on our ideas or our standards. He does his own thing because he's the Lord God. And it's always counterintuitive. The Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above our ourselves so his thoughts are above our thoughts so he anoints him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the lord came mightily upon david from that day forward things started happening in and around david it became apparent that that was the lord's choice there were signs and wonders revolving around David's life from that point on. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now, you turn the page, you go to the next chapter, and we have the first big story of David's life recorded. It's the story of David and Goliath. He goes on to battle one of the Nephilim, one of the famous mighty warriors. So great was this giant warrior, so skilled was the warrior that all in Saul's army would not go and fight. The Philistines came out and said, they said, hey, let's, you know, let's not just go to war and lose a bunch of men. We're just going to produce our greatest warrior. You produce your greatest warrior. 
if you win, we'll serve you. If we win, you serve us. So they're on two different hills. They took Goliath, a Nephilim, and he came down to represent the Philistines in the valley. And day in, day out, he's mocking Israel because Israel can't decide who to send. It looks like what is evident, they're afraid. Even their greatest warriors are afraid. Even their finest, biggest, strongest men are half the size of this Nephilim. Here comes David. His dad said, hey, go get some curds and some food and go feed your brothers. They're up there and this standoff is taking place. And of course, David goes up there, right? And uh, he says, what's going on? And he discovers that there's this big standoff and everyone in Israel is afraid. So he says, why are you afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine? What is up with all of you? You know, let me go. Let me go down there. I'll fight. I'll go. I'll. And he's like, you know, I mean, most scholars say that based on, you know, uh, um, people groups of that day and age and area, David was probably around, oh, five feet average, five feet two maybe, you know, but that's not very big. And he's young. He's young. I don't know how young he is at this point. He's a young kid. He has no real experience. And he's up there trash-talking the Nephilim. Let me go. I'll take him out. You know, these, these warriors in Israel are probably laughing at him, saying, get that little brat kid out of here, man. He's going to mess everything up. King Saul takes notice. King Saul recognizes the anointing on David. And then finally he says, hey, you know what? Suit him up. Suit him up. I think he's our best bet. Because really, in the natural, we're not going to win this with any of our men. Maybe it's a God thing. They suit him up. David can't even walk in the armor. It's like too heavy. He doesn't know how to use it. So then he takes it all off. And what does he do? He says, give me my stick. And then he picks up five smooth stones in his slingshot. And then he runs down and prophesies to the giant, who also prophesies to him. And then once the, the giant, and the giant's offended, by the way, that they would send him. It was an offense, an insult that they would send this little boy down there with a stick. He says, really, you come to me with a stick? What an insult. I'm going to kill you twice now or whatever, you know? Yeah, and there's David with his stick, challenges him, speaks the word of the Lord to him, and what does David do? What does David do? To everyone's shock and awe, David takes one shot, lays a small stone right between his eyes, and it said that it hit him hard enough that it impacted, it stuck in his head, and it knocked him out. It caused him to drop. Now, he's on the ground. He's not dead. It's not in his brain. It's lodged in his forehead. I remember one time, St. Francis, I was like in second grade, and we're out playing around in the playground, and one of our friends fell, and she landed on the pavement, and she stood up, and she had a rock stuck in her head. 
It was so I'd never seen anything like that. My, me and my friends, we never saw anything like that. We thought, oh my gosh, it's like in her brain. It must be like an iceberg. It's like two or three inches in her brain. We're just seeing the surface. You know, we're like, grab her. We said, just be careful, you know. We, you know, like she's all like in shock, you know, and she thinks she's going to die. We think she's going to die. We take her up to the nun. You know, oh my gosh, you know, she has a rock on her head, a rock on her head. The nun takes her fingernail and just grabs the rock, pulls it off, you know, and there's a little indent there, you know. She goes, she's fine. We're like, no way. We thought for sure she was going to die, you know. Yeah, that's David and Goliath. He has a rock. It's just knocked him out. That's it. He's out for just seconds. He's like when you're watching a boxing match and, and the guy gets knocked down, what does the referee do? Counts to eight because a good chance that guy's going to get up in eight counts and still fight. And David realizes that. What's he going to do? Go hit him with the stick? No, he says, no. He goes over and grabs his sword, picks it up, and takes the Nephilim's head off at the shoulders, and then grabs him by the hair and holds it up. And all of Israel comes crashing down, and the Philistines scatter like cockroaches in the light. Amazing story, right? This is David's triumph over the Nephilim. This is God at work in the one that he has chosen. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Let me reread this again in light of David. Consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. A little boy in a stick with some stones, right? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. You may have a low view of yourself, but God's view of you is super high. Instead of gold in your pouch, you may have just some little river rocks like David, the shepherd. Instead of an Ivy League university degree, you may have a wooden stick instead. Instead of a last name like Goldberg or Silverberg, I don't know, maybe you came from Iceland and you just have the last name Iceberg. With God, all things are possible. With God, you can change the world around you because God has chosen you and he's going to use you to address the powers all around you. You are the one that God's going to use to change the world around you. This is what it means to be chosen of God, chosen to accomplish his goodwill and pleasure. Now, I'm going to skip holy nation. I'm going to skip priesthood because I'm out of time. I want to come down to our calling. He's called us out of darkness. He's called us out of confusion and lies in order to bring us into the light of his kingdom, into truth, a more accurate perspective on what is real and true in the world around us. And for what purpose? Verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him to a world lost and confused. That's it. That's how he wants to use us so that we can proclaim and declare his excellencies 
to a world that's confused and doesn't know him? And what are his excellencies? How about his son? The Jew from Nazareth. Many considered him the bastard child of Mary, a nobody, yet God had chosen him. And the nobody is raised from the dead and becomes king of kings and lord of lords to the shock and awe of not only Israel, but the underworld, Satan and the hordes of demons. The whole universe was shocked at the exaltation of this nobody from Nazareth who becomes the king of heaven, king over everything. He's the savior of the world. He loves us. He's come to save us. That's an excellency that we're called to share with people. That's good news to people that are lost and confused and hurting. Who's going to share that but us? His most excellent offer of salvation that he's offering to everyone who will believe in his son. That's our message for the world around us. We need to look for opportunities to share that message with everyone around us. We need to pray that God gives us opportunities to share his excellencies and all the other magnificent things to share, right? He has made us holy. Are we holy? Are you holy? Are you set apart for a holy purpose? Of course, he has made us holy. He has given to us a different set of values than our culture and our society and the world that we live in. And you know what? We're supposed to teach that to others. We're supposed to lead people to Messiah, baptize them, and teach them these magnificent things. <clears throat> this includes our, our, our brothers and sisters across the denominational barriers. Because we have embraced the Torah as a way of life, we have a lot to share with people. We have a lot to bring to the body of Messiah. We hold a different set of values than our world, right? We hold life is sacred from, concep from conception to natural death. We hold a marriage between one biological man and one biological woman as sacred. That's different than the world we live in. We see gender as binary, made in the image of God, male and female. That's different than what the world says. We view liberty as a high value that everyone should have, that no one should be enslaved. And in a world in which we have now sex trafficking, a new form of slavery, and we've become the number one nation in terms of the sex slave, we have something to say about that. How about the creation of wealth? Yeah, God has given us the keys, the ideas, the secrets to building wealth. We have something to say about race in a world filled with racism, in a world that's filled with the preoccupation of skin color. We have something to say about that. It's a myth. There are no races, just one humanity made in his image, equal in every way, coming in different colors of skin. We have something to say about diet. Something to say about holy days. Something to say about justice and mercy. There's so much when it comes to the excellencies of God that we're called to share. We have the beautiful message of John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world 
that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Matthew 10, our mission. Jesus says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do you know how to heal the sick? Do you know how to raise the dead? Cleanse the leopards? Do you know how to cast out demons? That's our calling. We're going to learn how to do that. I mean, some of us know how to do some of those things, but we can do them better. And all of us can learn and grow into these things. Jesus said, Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Don't just bring them into the kingdom. Teach them this way of life. Teach them my commandments. We have something to say about that. So in conclusion, how will we accomplish this? We're going to do this one person at a time. We're going to do this by disciplining ourselves to become representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And spiritual disciplines are something that we do on a regular basis. A commitment weekly to a local Shabbat-keeping church where there's fellowship, teaching, worship. Meditation as a lifestyle. Meditating on God's word day in and day out. It's something we have to learn to do. Make it part of our lifestyle. David said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day in and day out. Daily study, daily devotionals. We're going to do 40 days coming up to Yom Kippur. I think we'll do the, the Jesus movie. What is that called? The miniseries, The Chosen. 40 days with Jesus. We'll use that devotional and join together as a community. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. But anyway, a lot of things we're going to learn about in the next couple of weeks and begin doing on a regular basis. It's going to lift us up. We're going to become more effective and being representatives for Jesus. I, I'm going to go on a little bit more, but good thing I'm out of time because it's so hot. You guys are starting to just doze on me a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. So um, let's go ahead and close and uh, may your week be filled with blessing and may God give us all divine appointments. Live the life. You're important. You matter. You're sacred. You're holy. Represent Jesus and represent him well. Shabbat Shalom.